you. Turn with me again to the first chapter of 1 Timothy and continuing our series of sermons in uh, what we call the pastoral epistles, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, and we are still in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And this morning I'll be reading verses 18 through 20. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. And as we read, remember this is God's word. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. That is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask again that you would be with us as we spend this time in this part of your word. And we pray that you would illumine us, that you would enlighten our minds and our hearts, that you would help us to see the truth of your word, and you would give us grace to apply it to our hearts so we might be changed and become more like Jesus. And we make our prayer in his name. Amen. It's amazing how many of my seminary classmates are no longer in the ministry. There's been an astounding amount of attrition. Uh, some went into the church with the wrong perspective, stirred up a lot of trouble, had to leave their church, and eventually left the ministry. Others have had moral problems and were forced out of the ministry. Some left because they thought they were called to the ministry, but later realized they really were not called to it and left the ministry on that account. Some have just become worn out with it and uh, worn out with the burdens, the concerns, the cares of the ministry and decided it was more than they could handle. I was talking to a, a young PCA pastor recently. I'd heard good things about his church and his ministry, how God was blessing him and blessing it. And so I commended him. I told him how happy I was to get that good report. And he said, well, things are going well, and God is blessing. That doesn't keep me from wondering sometimes if I could be an auto mechanic. I think that's where Timothy was when Paul wrote him this letter. Timothy was very gifted, but apparently he was a bit timid and he was a bit sickly. That is, he didn't have a very strong personality, nor did he have a very strong constitution. He tended toward discouragement. And there is indication in Paul's letters that even Timothy, from time to time, thought about leaving the ministry. One of the reasons that Paul wrote him this letter was to encourage him, to encourage him to hang in there, to be faithful, and to endure to the end. Timothy was a pastor of the church at Ephesus when Paul wrote him this letter. And Paul is in part writing Timothy to encourage him, to remind him that the church needed him. The church needed his gifts, his teaching, and his leadership. And so in our passage, 
Paul is giving Timothy some pastoral counsel. You might remember that I've said the theme of this first chapter is the church and its message. And the message of the church is what Paul called back in verse 11, the glorious gospel, the good news of salvation, the good news that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, that Christ came to save sinners like you and sinners like me. And it is by the mercy and the grace of God toward us in Jesus that gives us the hope of salvation and the gift of eternal life. Folks, that is the message of the church. And if we ever stray from that message, we've strayed from what God has given to us first and foremost to proclaim. Timothy was to proclaim that message and he was to protect the church from those who taught a different message. And so Paul is telling Timothy here to keep on keeping on and to have a focused ministry, that is, to focus upon what mattered the most to the church and to the people of God. I'm going to spend two Sundays on these three verses. Today we're going to look at Paul's counsel to Timothy to have a focused ministry. And then next week we're going to deal with what Paul did with those who didn't stay focused and who taught a different message and who were false teachers in the church. But just think of what a blessing this was to Timothy to have this pastoral counsel from the Apostle Paul. This is an older, wiser, more seasoned minister encouraging a younger, less experienced minister. And you can tell this is a warm and affectionate communication. And that Paul and Timothy had a warm and affectionate relationship because he refers to Timothy again in this passage as my son. Uh, Paul saw Timothy as his true child in the faith. He was brought to faith under Paul's ministry. He grew up under Paul's ministry. He learned to minister under Paul's ministry, and now he's giving him some real pastoral counsel and advice. There are three parts to that counsel I want to bring to your attention from really a verse and a half uh, this morning, verse 18, the first part of verse 19. And first Paul told Timothy that he needed to, to know and to keep in mind his position, to understand his place and where God had put him. And an important part of that for Timothy was realizing that the gospel had been entrusted to him. Look at verse 18 again, where Paul says this, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son. Well, what command? I think some texts say charge. What command or what charge was that? It was the command or the charge to preach the gospel faithfully in season and out of season. You see, the gospel had been entrusted to Timothy. The charge to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ had been given to him. And he was responsible for it, responsible to see that the church in Ephesus heard clearly, heard clearly the gospel message of salvation so they could 
not only hear it, but respond to it and embrace Christ for their salvation. It was a sacred trust. The gospel was a sacred trust that had been placed in Timothy's hands. That idea of the, the gospel being a, a sacred trust was something that was very real to Paul. For example, in Galatians chapter 2, he said, I have been entrusted with the gospel. In, in 1 Corinthians 9, he was talking about preaching the gospel. And he said, I have a stewardship. The gospel is a stewardship that's been entrusted to me. In 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. If you look back again in 1 Timothy chapter 1 to verse 11, where Paul talks about that glorious gospel, he says, it is that with which I have been entrusted. And now in verse 18, he says, this gospel, this command, Timothy, I entrust to you. And if you look over into um, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 14, Paul tells Timothy this, Guard through the Holy Spirit who indwells us the treasure, that's the gospel, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. And if you go down to 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust, there's the word again, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Do you see the pattern? God entrusted the gospel to the Apostle Paul. Paul then took that gospel and entrusted it to Timothy. And Timothy was to find others to whom he could entrust that gospel, who would then in turn be able to entrust the gospel to others. That's how the gospel spreads. It's a sacred trust given to the people of God. And folks, that is the greatest trust God has given to us. It is the message of the church. And God will hold us as a body of believers not just the pastor, not just the elders, not just the deacons, all of us. He will hold all of us accountable for the way in which we have dealt with this gospel that has been entrusted to us. Another way to put it is we are stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are to use it wisely as a sword of the Spirit to bring men and women to faith in Jesus Christ. And so you know, the question we've been asking throughout this series of sermons is, how do we do church? Based upon the pastoral epistles, how are we to do church? We do church, folks, by doing just what I said, seeing that the gospel is a sacred trust, loving the gospel, preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, allowing the gospel to be the motivator for everything we do in the life and the work of our church. So that we're not just doing church, and we're not just doing things, and we're not just having activities, but that we allow everything that we do in this church to point us to Christ through the gospel. Because the gospel is our only hope. Another, another part of this 
knowing his position, is that Timothy was realized the authority he had been given to him. He had been entrusted the gospel. But it wasn't just that the gospel had been given to him. He was, he was given authority to proclaim it and to teach it. Look again at verse 18, where he says, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you. Well, what are those prophecies that had been made about Timothy? They were the pronouncements of the church and of the leaders of the church about Timothy's call to the ministry and his authority, the authority given him by the church and the leaders of the church to teach and to preach the good news. You see, prophets were still active in the early church, in the first century church. They were being phased out, but they were still being used as God established the church. We see that, for example, if you look back into Acts chapter 13. If your Bible's Acts chapter 13. Verses 1 and 2. This is when Paul and Barnabas were about to be sent out on the first missionary journey. It says in verse 1, Now there were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers. And they named some of them. Then verse 2. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, that is, the prophets, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. That was the apostolic pattern. Men were set apart for ministry by prayer and the laying on of hands by the apostles or the elders. That's exactly what happened to Timothy. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14. We'll get there in a matter of time. Verse 14 of chapter 4, where Paul tells Timothy this, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic, prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Timothy had a gift. He was confirmed by the prophetic pronouncements or utterances of uh, the church leaders. It was affirmed to him by the laying on of hands. And here in verse 18 of uh, 1 Timothy 1, uh, Paul is reminding Timothy he has the authority of the church is behind him. Not, he's not a loner, not there by himself, but he has the authority of the church to teach and to preach. And that's the way it is that Presbyterians do church. You know, it's clear to me that uh, I'm not sure we got it exactly right, but the Presbyterian form of government is the closest that we find uh, to what's in the New Testament. In the early church, there's clearly ruled by elders, clearly ruled by a plurality of elders. And there was the authority of the presbytery. Uh, and that's the way we do things now. We authorize people to do ministry. I had hands laid on me by a presbytery. Gifts were recognized in me for ministry, and then the authority of the church was laid upon me. We do that for elders and for deacons, where the elders lay hands on those men and who've been recognized as having gifts and set apart for ministry in the church. 
the elders of the church authorized people to teach in the church. You don't teach unless the elders have said, yes, it's okay for that person to teach. Teachers in the church are not out here by themselves teaching alone, independently. They have the authority of the church behind them. They have the elders saying, yes, this person is authorized to teach and to preach the gospel on behalf of this church. And so, Paul was to know that the gospel, or Timothy was to know the gospel was given to him and he had the authority of the church behind him as he did. So we know his position. That's the first counsel. The second counsel he gave him was that he was to fight the good fight. Verse 18 again, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may fight the good fight. It's almost as though Paul is saying, look, you need to, to know your position so that you can fight this fight. You need to understand that the gospel's been given to you, the church is behind you, so that you can fight the fight of faith. When Paul got discouraged, or Timothy got discouraged, and when things became difficult or unpleasant, he was to continue to fight the good fight. And this is an admonition folks that applies to all of us regardless of your place or your position in life or in the church the Bible makes it clear that the Christian life is a fight if you're unsure about that go back again to Ephesians chapter 6 where where, where Paul talks about putting on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the enemy of your soul that is the devil The, the Christian life is a war. It's a battle. We're going to end our service this morning with the old gospel M. Onward, Christian soldiers. What does a soldier do? A soldier fights. He fights the good fight of faith. And God calls upon us uh, to fight that good fight of faith. Now, those who are in the ministry are sometimes called to do a different kind of fight. It's where Timothy was, remember? Remember what Paul has admonished Timothy to do? Timothy, you are to stand up to those who are teaching falsehood in the church. You're to tell them they can't do that. And again, next Sunday, we're going to look at what Paul did to two specific men who were false teachers in the church. And Timothy, as timid as he was, was to take that bold step. He was to fight that fight, that fight for the truth, and that fight for the gospel. Sometimes that takes real courage. And sometimes that doesn't make one very popular. But sometimes ministers of the gospel, sometimes elders of the church have to take a stand for the truth and identify truth from error and say we can teach this and we can't teach the other. It is a fight for the truth. Years ago when I was in another church. Apparently someone didn't like what I was preaching and teaching. As usually happens, that remained anonymous. Most most communications of unhappiness come through unsigned letters. I've gotten a few of those over the years. But uh, there was a period of weeks where every Sunday when I came to the church on the front steps, there was a message left for me. 
And they took a great bit of thought and put a great deal of time into it because it was written with kind of a clicker and handwriting and it was rolled up in the form of a scroll and placed on the front steps of the church. And it was had a message about things they didn't like that I was teaching or subtle threats to me if I continued. Today I'd probably call the police. This is a long time ago. I had one thing I could do. I just had to keep teaching. I just had to keep preaching. I had to keep fighting the good fight. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy here. Fight the good fight of faith. But it's not just ministers who are called upon to do that. Again, all of us are called upon to fight. And so keep fighting. Fight against the enemy of your souls. Fight against the one who stands against your growth in grace and maturity in Christ. Fight against the one who tries to discourage you from being obedient and walking in the light. Fight against the one who is the enemy of your marriage and the enemy of your family and the enemy of your uh, life in the church. Keep fighting, folks. And keep fighting, elders. Fight for the truth. Fight for the gospel. Fight for your people. Fight for them in prayer. Fight for them in their growth in grace. You know, Paul came to a wonderful place in life later on toward the, the very end of uh, his messages toward uh, his letters to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter uh, 2 and verse 7. It's near the end of his life, and Paul says, is able to say this, I have fought the good fight. What a great place to come. Wouldn't that be a great place to be? When you come near the end of your life, and you know about you're about to, to leave this, this, this world and go to the next, you're able to say, look, I fought the good fight. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy here, fight the good fight. And then there's a third part to this um, counsel. And he tells Timothy, first part of verse 19, to keep faith and a good conscience. It's an interesting combination of things, isn't it? Keeping faith, keeping faith, he says, and a good conscience. But really, that's the only way that you can fight this fight of faith with confidence is by keeping faith and keeping a good conscience. And here, Paul connects two things. He connects your faith in your life, what you believe and what you do, what you teach and how you conduct yourself. John Stott says of verse 19 that it contains objectively and subjectively what is necessary to fight this good fight. Objectively, we're to hold on to faith. Literally, it is to be faith. We're to hold on to the truth or to the content of our faith because it is what gives us the solid rock upon which we can stand. We must cling to the objective truth of God's Word. You see, knowing the truth is important. Studying the Bible 
is essential. Understanding theology is helpful. Believing what God says in his word is crucial. We don't apologize around here, folks, for being committed to the truth. We, we don't apologize for saying, this is the faith that we believe God has proclaimed. Walk in it, live in it, do it. We don't apologize for being a church focused upon the gospel and upon the truth of God's word. You know, it's pretty obvious we're not in the entertainment business here. There are other churches where you can go to be entertained. That's not what we do here. We focus upon the truth of the gospel, trying to help people know what the Bible says so they can live out what God has called them to be and to do. That's the objective part. The subjective part is keeping what Paul calls a good conscience. Now again, there must be a balance between faith and life. And a good conscience. A good conscience is important in being able to teach the truth. I don't care if you're teaching to your, to your children or teaching it to a Sunday school class or teaching it to a Bible study or teaching it to a congregation. When your conscience bothers you because of something you have done, you become weak and timid. Proverbs 28.1 says a very interesting thing. It says, The wicked flee when no one is watching, but the righteous are bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no one is watching. That's somebody with a guilty conscience. Don't you find that to be true? You know, when you know you've done something you shouldn't do, you know, you're kind of skittish, aren't you? Looking over your shoulder, wondering who heard, wondering who saw, wondering who knew, wondering what people are saying about you. It makes you weak, and it makes you timid. But the righteous are what? The righteous are bold as a lion. Those whose conscience is clear, whose conscience is clear before the Lord are able to say, here's the way, walk in it. This is the way that you should go. And so it's important, you see, that your walk matches your talk, that your life reflects what you teach, that your conduct is equal to your message. Because you can't faithfully point people to the light if you yourself are walking in the darkness. So how do we do church? We do church by trying to be consistent by having a consistency between our faith and our life, between what we say and what we do, between what we believe and how we live. And we're not always successful at that, are we? I know I'm not. I'll be the first to say, I know I'm not. I am painfully aware many times of how inconsistent I am. But aren't we thankful for grace? Without grace, folks, I would never be able to stand behind this pulpit. Without forgiveness, I would never be able 
to fulfill the sacred trust of proclaiming the gospel. Because it is only on the basis of who Christ is and what Christ has done for us that we find ourselves able to do what God has called us to do and be what He's called us to be. We're all about grace. And so this morning, really, what I want you to know is beyond all this, how we really do church is by focusing upon the grace of God to us in the gospel, this sacred trust. And it's because of that we fight the good fight. And it's through that we're able to teach others, be it our children, our classes, whoever it may be, the wonderful truths of the message of the glorious gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And I pray for all of us that we would be bathed in grace this morning, the grace of Jesus. And we pray that our consciences would be clear, not because we are innocent, but because we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Our choir sang earlier of the fact that the Calvary covers it all. And I pray that that great truth would be impressed upon our hearts today that we would know our position in Christ, that we would know how to fight the good fight, and that we would be bold because we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. We ask it all in his name. Amen.